All right, good morning, church family. Good to see everyone. Am I supposed to make some kind of announcement? Okay, next week, 9 o'clock, but you guys are in the second service, so. If you're coming to the first service next week, it starts at 9 o'clock because of the race. I think Tim mentioned that already. Was there another one? Uh, No? Okay. All right. Oh, Scott's birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday, Scott. Are you going to be 29? Yeah, all right, awesome. All right, all right, so uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to sing. Uh, Sammy, you jump up and get us started. Thanks, Russell. I knew, I knew there was something I was forgetting. Way to go, Russell. All right, so today we're going to continue our study of the letter to the church in Rome. It was written about 57 AD. Uh, boy, that was a long time ago, but it's still relevant. It's still important to us today. Uh, so we're in chapter 10. Turn to Romans chapter 10. In your Bibles, uh, page 946 in the Bibles provided somewhere on your phone. Uh, you can find it there. I can't help you with that. Uh, and one thing I've noticed in Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, it's about making choices. Have you ever made a choice and you didn't even know you were choosing that choice? Think about that. I'll, I'll say it again. It's a little, little mind uh, twist there. Have you ever made a choice and you didn't even know you were choosing that choice? So I've been... Uh, organizing and cleaning out the attic that's above our garage and our family room uh, to make more room for more stuff that probably should go in the garbage instead of the attic. But anyway, that's another story. So uh, there was just a little bit of flooring in the attic, so I decided I would put more flooring in the attic. So I put flooring down, I'd move some bins, I'd put some more flooring down, move some bins, flooring bins, flooring bins, and then I, I took a step, I made a choice that I didn't know I was choosing, and I stepped to grab a bin, and there was no flooring there. And so, so my foot and my leg went through the drywall, which was the ceiling above our family room, and uh, my, my right hip, sorry, in the back part of the right hip, uh, hit the, hit the um, rafter, and this leg, I'm not quite sure what this leg did, but, but uh, thankfully it was on flooring, so only my right leg went through. Not both legs, just one leg. So I, I went through, and then I was back up, and I looked down through the hole, and I heard some screaming and yelling, because <laughs> uh, Betsy and Tara were watching a, a, a show, a video or whatever, and I looked down, and right where the hole was, was right where Betsy always sits. You know, everybody has that place where you always sit in the family room. And she was sitting there, so she goes, Tim, you have to tell it more dramatic in the second service, because she was sitting there, and all of a sudden, 
uh, drywall, and we had insulation, not the, not the uh, roll kind, but the, the fluffy kind. So all this insulation, drywall, fell right on top of her. And she looked up, and there's my leg, you know. And uh, so I made, a, I made a mess in the family room. I made a big mess in the family room. So I chose, so I got I to gotta read some things from my notes. So I, I chose a step where there's no floorboard. Uh, I made a mess. So my choice that I didn't know I was making created this big mess. Have you ever made a choice that you didn't know you were making that created a big mess? And even more importantly, had I fallen all the way through, if my other leg was in the right spot where I would have fallen right in between the rafters, I would have landed right on top of Betsy. Probably like really hurting her bad, maybe even, you know, killing her. And uh, so my choice that I didn't even know I was actually making could have created more than a mess, could have created a complete disaster. So the consequences of making a choice that I didn't know I was making created a mess, but it could have created a disaster. A disaster for others, not just myself. So how does this tie in? How does this... You, did you, you guys were laughing at me, by the way, weren't you? <laughs> I wish it was on YouTube. It would be pretty funny to see all, you know, Betsy there, Tara, all of a sudden. Anyway, you get the picture. But so how does this tie in? So really today, all over the world, people are making a choice and they don't even know they're choosing that choice. They're living the best life they can live, the best life they know how, but by default, they're choosing to not follow Jesus. And the consequences of that choice that they don't even know they're choosing is really disastrous. So in Romans 10, the author of the letter, the Apostle Paul, he explains to us God's rescue plan, God's plan to help people choose Jesus. And that choice is a choice, it's the only choice that has no negative consequences. It has only positive consequences. Now, think about Paul. If you're not familiar with who he is, before Paul was radically transformed by Jesus, he was a religious leader in the Jewish community in Israel. And when Paul saw that the message of Jesus was causing Jewish, Jewish folks to leave their beliefs and follow Jesus, Paul began to violently persecute the church. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus, he began to persecute. Paul wanted to destroy the church before it spread too far. He wanted to destroy the message of Jesus before it spread too far. But once he met Jesus, he became a passionate follower of Jesus, and he was welcomed into the church. And we read about that welcoming in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 28. Listen to what it says. It says, And when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And they were all afraid of him. Can you imagine why? He was the persecutor of the church. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord, seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Paul was then welcomed. It says, So Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And after his transformation and his welcome into the church, Paul lived out this adventurous faith that really changed the world. Paul's ministry changed the world, and it's still changing the world today. We're reading about what Paul, we're reading what Paul wrote, and we're understanding what he did, and we're hearing God through Paul's writings. And so in verse 1, Paul makes it clear that because of what Jesus had done to him, he desired to see his fellow Jews have the same experience. His adventurous faith, he wanted his brothers and sisters to have that same adventurous faith. He wanted to point people to Jesus. And so this is what he writes in Romans chapter 10, the first verse. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, my fellow Jews, is that they may be saved. So think about it. The murdering persecutor of the church was transformed by the gospel of Jesus, was welcomed into the church, and became a believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus. And he put his faith into action by sharing the gospel with others with the hope that they would also be transformed, welcomed into the church, and become believing, trusting, faithful followers of Jesus who would put their faith into action by sharing the gospel with others. Now, isn't it amazing that Paul was welcomed into the church? that amaze you? The great persecutor of the church was welcomed into the church. Imagine uh, this past Easter, uh, three churches and three hotels in Sri Lanka were bombed. 258 people died, hundreds were injured. And imagine if the leaders of that terrorist organization met Jesus, were transformed like Paul was, and then walked into one of those three churches that they organized the bombing of, would they be welcomed? Would they be welcomed here? Now, we probably won't experience something that dramatic. But on a more subtle level, our welcome, Matt has to extend to people who haven't yet met Jesus. See, when we surrender to Jesus, enter into his family, into his kingdom, the people who are not followers of Jesus do not become the enemy. So I was a sinner, I gave my life to Jesus. Those folks aren't the enemy now. They're making a choice that they aren't even that they don't even understand they're making. They're choosing not to follow Jesus. But they're not the enemy. Our heart's desire and prayer to them needs to be the same that Paul had. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. And that should be our same heart's desire 
for people we know who don't know the Lord. So Paul's desire is that people would meet Jesus so they would be saved from eternal death, separation from God forever. So he goes on to write in chapter 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of, of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they do not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So in these verses, Paul makes three points that show us the truth that Jesus is the only choice, the only choice for salvation. Make this point. You can't make up your own truth about God. He says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Many people create a narrative, their own narrative about God that suits them, but it's meaningless because it's not true. The only thing that's true is what's true, not what we make up. And number two, the second point, you can't make up your own rules. You ever try that? Make up your own rules? Paul says, because they were seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. People were not saved because they were following their own plan, their own choice, their own efforts to get to God instead of submitting to God's plan. And number three, Jesus is the only way to salvation. He says, Paul says, Jesus is the end or the culmination of the law of righteousness. Jesus said it this way. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So believing and trusting faith in Jesus results in salvation. God's plan of salvation is Jesus. He's the only choice. And the rest of chapter 10 confirms this. You see, we can make up a God and say that this God will save us, but making up a God to save us is like walking onto a Hollywood set and saying, I can live here. So let's look at the picture. How would you like to live in that house? It looks great from the front, doesn't it? But there's no substance. And that's what it's like to make up a God, and then say that God will save me. It may look good from the front, but there's no substance. We can make our own rules, but our own rules at best might get us where we want to go, but our own rules won't get us where God desires us to be. So for the students uh, in the room, so you can, you can make a rule about your class. You can say, you know what, if I get 50% on all my tests, I'll get an A. Wouldn't that be a great rule? That'd be a great rule, right? Except there's a problem. It won't work because you don't get to make the rules. The teacher makes the rules. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's our rescuer. And no one else is coming for us. So if Jesus is the only way to salvation, how does a person find Jesus and get into his good graces so that Jesus will save him or save her. Paul answers this question in verses 5 through 8. He writes this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. So Paul's people, the Jewish people, they had, in general, developed their religion into a religion of working to earn God's good graces. Working to earn God's good graces so they would be saved. And of course, no one is capable of earning their salvation. None of us are good enough to be adopted into God's family. Instead, Paul tells us that the way to righteousness, the way to salvation, is by faith. We don't have to go and find Jesus because he's near. Paul says there's no need to travel to heaven to bring Jesus to earth, for God has already sent Jesus to earth to go to the cross to pay for the sins that we can't pay for. And there's no need to bring Jesus up from the realm of the dead because God the Father raised God the Son from the grave. And Jesus is alive. There's no need to resurrect him. So if Jesus is the only way to salvation, how do we receive this salvation? Who, uh, who attends the ark? Okay, some people. Some people, all right, raise your hands. All right, so at the ark, they, uh, Ike Tickner, who's in the first service, he does this thing called, um, Who Am I? And he, and he reads a description, and then he gives three or four answers. And, and the first three are always no, and Ike has a way to do it. He says, you know, here's the question, is the first answer this? And he'll read the answer, and then he'll go, no, you know, in that deep voice, no, I, I, I don't have a deep voice. And everybody will be like, no. And he gets the last one, and they all go, yes. Okay, so we're going to do that a little bit. So, so if Jesus is the only way to salvation, how do we receive this salvation? Answer number one, by working harder, smarter, faster to be a good Christian. No. no. All right. By surrendering to Jesus in faith. Yes. All right, you guys got it. All right, come to the ark. It's amazing. All right. It's by faith, it's not by works. But I have a question. Even if you've given your life to the Lord, you know you're going to spend eternity with Him. Or maybe, maybe you haven't. Either way, how many of us are working for our salvation? Trying to earn more of God's grace. If I only, if I only do this better, then Jesus will love me more. You ever find yourself in that place? If I'm a better Christian, Jesus will love me more. What God requires is not superhuman works, but faith in Him. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So Jesus is the only choice for salvation, and when we choose Jesus, it must be by faith and not by works. And if we choose Jesus, we must surrender our lives to him rather than try and work harder, faster, smarter to get God's approval. 
Now everybody take a deep breath. Okay, exhale. Doesn't feel good to have air. Can you imagine what it would be like without air? The air we breathe keeps us alive. Amen? All right, so uh, we don't really have any other choices. I mean, we could choose to breathe in helium for a while, and it's really funny when you talk, but eventually, if it's only helium, doesn't work out so good, does it? Or we could choose water, breathe in water, but that's called drowning. You don't want to do that. There's some other foreign substances you might want to breathe in, but, but eventually, if there's no air, not such a good plan. We only have one choice when it comes to breathing. No air, no life. Now, when I asked you to take a deep breath, everybody interrupted their breathing cycle to take a deep breath, didn't you? You interrupted. You were already breathing, weren't you? I didn't have to tell you to take a deep breath. Breathing is involuntary. We're designed to breathe without thinking about it, and that's a good thing. And even though, so breathing is the only choice we have, and it's involuntary. Even though Jesus is the only choice, and it's the difference between eternal life and eternal separation from God, it's not involuntary. Each person has to make their own choice. You can't choose for your spouse, you can't choose for your kids or your grandkids, you can't choose for your coworkers or your friends. Every person has to make their own choice. And Paul lays out the choice that has to be made. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is our choice Paul gives us. He says, first believe with your heart that Jesus is alive. It's an internal belief that Jesus is alive. It's not intellectual agreement with the story of Jesus, but a deep inward trust that Jesus is is alive. This is believing faith. And second, he says, confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. This is a confession of surrender. It's a trusting faith. When we believe Jesus is alive, we surrender our lives to him, and we are saved. And the third part of the choice is the choice to call in the name of the Lord. When we call upon Jesus, we're demonstrating our believing, trusting faith. This is faithful faith. And of course, there's a benefit to genuinely believing and trusting in Jesus. Paul says that we will receive the riches. God bestows his riches on every person who calls on him. And when we hear riches, don't think money. When we hear riches, in this case, think great adventure, an eternal great adventure in a relationship with Jesus. So this is our choice but we still need to choose. Believe that Jesus is alive, confess that he is Lord, and call on his name. And now verse 14. In verse 14, Paul asks four relevant questions that describe God's rescue plan. How do people come to the point 
where they know they need Jesus, where they choose Jesus. Here's God's plan to set the conditions for that decision. How then will they call, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is God's rescue plan. Let's go in the four questions in reverse order and we see the rescue plan unfold. Question four, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now when you hear the word preach, don't think just this. The person up here is preaching to the people out there. When you hear preaching, think when I talk to my friend, when I'm, when I'm at home living out my life, I am preaching a message. Is that the message of Jesus? So we're all preachers in that sense. We're all, we, are, we are all messengers who carry the message of Jesus. So one of the roles of the church, one of the roles of this church family, is that we prepare each other to go. We are sending church when we are preparing each other to go. So the first step in God's rescue plan is for his church to send his people into the world. So as followers of Jesus, we're rescued, and then we become rescuers. We turn around, we go back into the water, so to speak, to join Jesus as he rescues others. So step one of God's rescue plan, his people go. And so ponder this, how am I going? How am I going? Who am I going to? Question three, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul tells us through this question that when we go, we need to share the good news with other people. And we do it in different ways. Some of us live with integrity and humility. Some of us show loving kindness to the people around us. Some share how Jesus has changed and is changing our lives. Some offer to pray with people who are hurting. If you've ever asked someone, can I pray for you? Has, has anybody ever experienced anyone saying no? Can I pray for you? And they say, oh, no, I don't want any of that. What a great way to share the love of Christ. Coworker, oh, my life stinks. Can I pray for you? You don't have to dig into their stinky life. You don't have to read from the Bible. You can just say, how can I pray for you? And that opens the door. We serve in a ministry in the church that shares the good news with the community. We introduce scripture to other people. We share God's news in so many, God's good news in so many different ways. So step two of God's rescue plan, preach the good news. And so ponder this this week. Am I preaching? Ask the Lord this week, Lord, who do you want me to preach to? Not be preachy to, but who do you want me to preach to? Question two, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So step three of God's plan is to preach so they can hear. 
Have you ever had somebody talk to you and they're talking in a way that you're just, you're just not hearing them? We need, to sh- we need to preach, we need to share the gospel in a way that it will be heard. So we, we need to take that list. Okay, God, who am I preaching? Who do you call me to preach to? So you take that list and then you say, okay, how can I preach to that person in a way that they will hear me? You may have a friend who knows you're a follower of Jesus and they're always asking you about your faith. And so perhaps you preach to that friend, you invite them to church or to a small group Bible study, or you say, hey, let's meet uh, for lunch and, and once, in a, uh, once a week and, and read, the, read the, a part of the Bible and talk about it. Or perhaps you have a coworker who's just mean. I won't ask you if you have a mean coworker. Uh, who's just mean, treats everyone as the enemy. Maybe the way you preach to them is you just show them loving kindness. And you pray for them. Lord, soften their hearts so they can hear your voice. So God, who are you calling me to preach to? And how can I preach so they will hear? So step three, preach so they can hear. And then question one, the final question Paul asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Paul is telling us that even though we are the preachers, the messengers of the good news, each person must make their own choice. The messenger is only responsible for sharing the message, but each person must make their choice. So God's rescue plan, three basic steps. Go, preach, and preach so they can hear. And the outcome is in Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So some believe what they hear, and those who believe call in the name of Jesus, and when they call in the name of Jesus, they are saved. I want to show you a short video of an amazing rescue moment that took place at sea. It's only a minute and a half. Watch very carefully. It goes by fast. Watch, watch, watch. This is the incredible moment a fisherman was rescued by divers after he was trapped for three days underwater in a sinking ship. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Okay, keep him there. Keep him there. Harrison Okene is still presumed the sole survivor of the Jackson 4 tugboat, which was carrying 12 men when it capsized off the coast of Nigeria in the Gulf of Guinea in May this year. Keep him there and keep him calm, okay? <laughs> All right, just... The footage shot by rescue divers from the DCN diving group has only just emerged. Right. It shows Mr. Okene clinging on for dear life inside a four-foot air pocket in the capsized right, boat, 30 meters under the surface of the Atlantic Ocean. During his time inside the boat, Mr. Okene had to endure hearing his deceased shipmates being eaten by fish and his own skin being peeled away in the ultra-damp conditions. Okay, Harrison. My name is Colby. Okay, and I'm going to bring you home, okay? But to the astonishment of the South African rescue team, he was still alive when they reached him, 62 hours after the boat went under. Put your head underwater and breathe comfortably. Ten of the crew are confirmed dead, and one is still missing. Okay, how's that? Are you alright, Harrison? With the aid of scuba diving equipment, Mr. O'Kenny returned to safety in the unlikeliest of rescues.
Can you imagine being trapped underwater, 180 feet down, 62 hours, and really realizing nobody's coming for me? And then all of a sudden, there's somebody there. Can you imagine the diver? How the diver felt? You know, he's, he, they were looking for the deceased crew, and all of a sudden that hand reaches down. Oh, I think the adrenaline, adrenaline rush must have been amazing. But from, from time to time, you hear about rescue missions that are called off. Somebody's been looked lost, they've been searched for for days and days, and the searchers realize, you know, we can't search anymore. There's no chance, there's no hope of survival. And can you imagine being the person that has to go to the family of the lost and say to them, I'm sorry, but we have called off the search. There's no more hope for your loved one. There's no longer any hope for their survival. I would hate to be that person. Romans 10 ends with this verse. But of Israel, God says, all day long, in other words, as long as it takes, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God never cancels his rescue mission. As long as a person has breath in their lungs, God will continue to hold out his hand of salvation. Even though they've made the choice, even though they didn't know they were choosing not to follow Jesus, God will always reach out with the hand of salvation. Have you made your choice to follow Jesus, the rescuer, the only one who's coming for you? And if you've chosen to follow Jesus, have you joined him in his rescue mission? Are you part of his rescue plan? Are you going? Are you preaching? And are you preaching so that they can hear? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great chapter about how a person comes to know you and receives the gift of eternal life. Lord, you're the only choice. And yet, Lord, you give us the responsibility to choose you. Lord, we pray for the folks in our lives who are living the best life they can, but they've made the choice even though they don't know they've made the choice not to follow you because they've never heard the truth about you. And so, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. We want to thank you for never giving up on the, the people around us that we know and that we love. And, Lord, help us join you in your rescue plan. Help us renew our desire to be part of your rescue mission, to go and to preach, and to preach in a way that they can hear. Lord, we want, we want to see people rescued, and you're inviting us to be part of that. 
So Lord, give us the courage and the compassion to be rescuers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 There's no closing song today, so as we say in the army, dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>